post-Sunday service, our first lesson, is found recorded in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, and we'll read verses 9 and 10. These two verses clearly foretell Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, beginning at the fifth verse. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at the 28th verse. As Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in Acts chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 20. This, uh, this is all part of a series uh, because recently we dedicated... Um, the stained glass windows in this church that was actually made by a member of this congregation. And we're considering the second to the last one. And, uh, and here are these beautiful words 
because this is what the stained glass window um, was, what was all put together around these very words. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, he might bring them to Jerusalem as prisoners. As he went on his way and was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will, and you will be told what you need to do. The men traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but did not see anyone. They raised Saul up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. They took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. For three days he could not see, and he did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord told him, Get up and go into the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. In fact, at this very moment he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he can regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man and how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Indeed, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias left and entered the house. Laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom you saw on your way here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to set the record straight. When you look at the stained glass window, if you thought to yourself that this is actually Jesus praying in Gethsemane, it is not. And the biggest reason why it is not Jesus praying at Gethsemane is because in the upper left-hand corner, you will see a yellow dot. And you will see that that represents the sun. So Jesus would have prayed late at night and at Gethsemane and, and in fact was arrested at Gethsemane. Here, this is around noon. And we know this from the man who was 
called Saul. Later, he'll change his name to Paul, and we best know him as the Apostle Paul, or even as Saint Paul. But in the beginning, I can tell you, he was no saint. He was definitely no saint because he was there when that first Christian martyr, Stephen, had been put to death when people started whipping stones at him for speaking the truth about Jesus. Even though we're not told that Saul had thrown any of the stones, he was there uh, holding people's cloaks and, and certainly approving of what they were doing. In fact, he so much approved of what they were doing that he actually went to the high priests and asked for papers in order to go up to Damascus to find anyone who was a Christian and to bring them back. But they weren't called Christians at that time. In fact, the term Christian will not come for another year or so. At that time, the believers were called the way. And that was certainly in keeping with the very words of Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're told that Saul was breathing out murderous threats. See, many of the Jewish Christians were taking up to Damascus, really trying to get as far away as possible. But when they left and as they scattered, they carried the holy name of Jesus with them. They were preaching in the synagogues. Damascus is actually northeast of Jerusalem, 150 miles. To get up there would take at least a good week, if not two. So to hear that he wants to go up there with papers and, and with authority to go and capture and bind up those Christian Jewish Christians and bring them back as prisoners was not the entire truth. He wanted to bring them back as prisoners so that they would face the Sanhedrin. He wanted them dead. He wanted this new religion called the way to end and to end now. He was totally against it, and it was a threat to his Jewish beliefs. He was willing to go the distance in order to stop these people and to stop this religion. And so, with several people with him, no doubt armed guards, he headed to Damascus. Now, where on that road to Damascus did the miracle take place? I would have to say, I would lean, that he was probably closer to Damascus than he was to Jerusalem. But on that road, the Holy Lord Jesus himself would come with a bright light from heaven. This was not the sun from the sky shining on him. This was a bright light from heaven. And then came a voice and the Lord himself were told by Paul later that was actually spoken in a Hebrew dialect. It was definitely meant for him. And he could understand it. He, the Lord said to him simply, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I find it interesting that the Lord didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? That's what I would have expected. 
Why are you torturing them? Why are you hurting them? But he says, why are you persecuting me? This certainly draws us to the words of Jesus when he would send out his disciples to do missionary work, but would always add these words. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Because he was rejecting the word that these, that these believers were proclaiming. He was ultimately rejecting the Savior himself, his very Savior. Just think, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing God's work, but he wasn't doing God's work at all. Thinking you're doing God's work, but you're really doing Satan's work? That had to cut him to the heart. To hear that, that this is Jesus speaking to him, and now get up, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do and go to Damascus. This is the very Jesus who gave his life on the cross. This is the very Jesus who conquered death and rose again. This is the very Jesus who ascended back into heaven, ruling the universe, sitting at the right hand of God, that place of power and authority. The very Savior himself, who's going, who has promised to come back again on the last day, is the very Savior now speaking to him and calling him to now serve the Lord? The Lord wasn't just simply calling him to faith. He was calling him to serve. And that begs the question, why? What was God thinking? Why would you pick this man? Why? Why would you pick him? He, he's breathing out murderous threats. He's trying to end the Christians. He is approving of this. Out of all the candidates, Lord, you could have chosen. This man is not even on the list. You can't even put him on the bottom. Why would you even think that he would deserve such a privilege and honor? to be your personal missionary? We clearly have here is really evidence and a beautiful and a beautiful proof of, of God's grace and mercy. It is by God's grace and mercy that he chose this man who clearly didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. But in spite of that, by God's grace and mercy, he chose him to be his own and to be an ambassador for Christ. And it is by God's grace and mercy that you and I are also chosen to be his own. By his very grace and mercy, he called us to faith. But now he calls us to go and share that faith with others. We don't deserve it. We too haven't earned it. We're by nature sinful human beings, which means we're by nature enemies of God. And yet, in spite of that, Jesus would give his life for us and now call us to begin in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to proclaim his holy name to the ends of the earth, especially here in Colorado Springs. Why would the Lord want to choose us? Why didn't he simply give it to the angels? Couldn't the angels do a better job? 
Couldn't the angels go out and tell people of the Savior? But God in his infinite wisdom and purely by his grace and mercy didn't choose the angels. He chose us sinful human beings who are saved by the grace of God, who know that because he lives, we have the hope of everlasting life. It is a privilege and honor, my friends, to share that holy name of Christ. In fact, there is truly no greater privilege and honor in all the world and all made possible by the grace and mercy of our God. The attendants that were with Paul on his way to Damascus they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. When they went over to Saul and, and to help him up, they noticed, as well as Saul, that when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they had to help him to Damascus, which no doubt slowed down their track. In fact, for three days, he will actually be blind, and when he goes to Damascus, it is not surprising that this man who just experienced hearing the very Lord and now struck with blindness is praying. In a vision, the Lord comes to him and tells him that there is a disciple who is going to come and lay his hands on you and that is going to regain your sight and he will tell you what the Lord has called you to now do. His name is Ananias. This is not the first time that we hear of Ananias, at least the name that is. In fact, earlier in Acts, we hear of an Ananias who was actually married to Sapphira, and those two were actually put to death by the Lord because, they, because of their lying and cheating when it came to the offerings. This Ananias is not that man. He's a faithful, faithful disciple of Jesus who no doubt left Jerusalem for his, you know, because of his life and was in Damascus preaching and teaching. It is the Lord who called Ananias now in a vision to go to Saul. But Ananias does question the Lord. I've heard many reports from people, he'll tell the Lord, that this man is coming here to actually capture your people and to take them back as prisoners. But the Lord tells Ananias to go because Saul is my chosen instrument. Ananias does not argue with him, but goes. He places his hand on Saul, and he tells Saul two important facts. One is, you are now going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Yes, you're going to preach to the people of Israel. Yes, you're going to even preach to, to kings. In fact, Saul actually stood before Caesar, the Roman emperor himself, and testified of Christ. But the majority of his work is going to actually be starting up congregations among the Gentiles. And he will become known as an apostle to the Gentiles. And that brings us to the second thing. Saul, you will suffer. In your work as my apostle, you will face suffering. And yes, 
Saul did face suffering. In fact, later on, he describes all of his suffering during his entire ministry this way. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, Are they ministers of Christ? I'm speaking in a crazy way. Am I even more? I have done more hard work, been in prison more often, been whipped far more, and I've been close to death many times. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have been on journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger on the sea, in danger among false brothers. I have worked hard and struggled. I have spent many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have gone without food many times. I have been cold and lacked clothing. Besides those external matters, there is the daily pressure on me of my concern for all the churches. Saul's suffering is an understatement. And yet Saul got up. And with Ananias placing his hand on him, he could now see scales like fell off his eyes. He would start eating, regained his strength. He would stay in Damascus for several days. And in fact, immediately he went into the synagogue and started preaching about Jesus, that he truly is the Son of God. That he truly is everyone's Savior, as well as his own. Now this begs the question, why would Saul even take the job? Yes, the Lord said you're going to be suffering, but hearing how he's gone through all this, what was he thinking when it comes to going and being an apostle, especially to the Gentiles? If you, if you had a, a job interview and the boss said to you, yep, you're gonna, we're going to offer you X amount of money, and by the way, you're going to suffer, how quick would we be to take that job? In fact, we would go home to tell our spouse and our loved one, I'm not a fool. I'm never going to take that job. So what moved Saul to take this job? Once again, this is pure evidence of God's grace and mercy. It was God's love for him that moved him to want to love and did love. Even in the face of suffering and even in the face of persecution, and it is by God's grace and mercy that you and I continue to proclaim his holy name, no longer making excuses, and certainly not going with a heart that wants to quit, but persevering, knowing that that very grace and mercy of God that motivates us, that very grace and mercy empowers us to go and share that holy name, even knowing that people quite possibly will hate us. Because we proclaim the name of the Lord, it's not us they hate, but it's the Lord Jesus they hate. But since you're a believer in Christ, don't be surprised of persecution that may come. Oh, not just from the general world out there. Sometimes it comes from our own family and friends. 
remember who you are. As believers in Christ, you are disciples. As disciples of Jesus, you are missionaries. And as missionaries of our great God, you are Christian soldiers. You are armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, it cuts two ways because it cuts with the law and the gospel, the two main teachings of God's holy word. And there is nothing more powerful in all the world than the power of God and the very gospel in the book of Romans was described by the apostle Paul. The very word was described as the power of God. Oh, dynamite may blow things up but it cannot move a heart and save it and give it peace. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does. Holding dear to that word, proclaim it. And proclaim it to the ends of the earth, especially with everyone you meet. And above all, beginning at home. This window is dedicated to the glory and praise of our Lord God Almighty for the edification in this house of the Lord. And when you look upon this window, keep in mind the calling of Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. But I pray it also reminds you of who you are, Christian soldiers. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.